When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Performance Anxiety Podcast, proud part of the Pantheon Podcast family of shows. I'm your host, Mark, and today we welcome Charlie Jones to the podcast. You probably recognize him as Robert Plant's bassist, but there's a lot more to him. He went from playing bass in a pop band to session work with people like Ofra Haza to touring with Robert Plant while on the work enterprise scheme all in just a handful of years. After playing and writing music with Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, Charlie wanted to change things up, so he started playing with Goldfrapp. He's also produced music for artists like Susie Sue, and he's released his own album called Love Form. He's currently writing new music, and he hopes to release it soon. Charlie is one of the most down-to-earth people to ever grace this podcast. Look for him on social media, and follow us too at Performance A&X. And consider buying us a coffee on coffee.com slash performance anxiety. That's ko-fi.com. And without further ado, here's Charlie Jones on performance anxiety. Okay. My name's Charlie Jones. I'm a bass player. I'm currently sat in my studio uh, writing some new tunes. I play for golf rap, amongst other things. And um, I'm on Performance Anxiety with Mark Shear. And... Of course, it's Shea. Oh! Shea, <laughs> man. I said Shear. Yeah, I know. Okay. That, hey, Let me go again. I had somebody call me Mark Shapiro on one... No! Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be called that. No. <laughs> okay, let me, do, let me go again. You got it. Okay, I'm Charlie Jones, I'm a bass player, and I listen to Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea, and um, that's about it. Talking from the West Country in England. That's all right. I mean, I'm not the greatest myself, so it's that's... I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You're talking to somebody who can't even cut and paste. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm serious. I'm serious, man. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey... Give me a call anytime you need help cutting and pasting, because I can do that. Oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> I will do that. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for joining me. This is so. This is really cool. I really do appreciate you coming on this evening. Uh, it's not my. It's not my thing normally, to be honest. I gathered that because I was, I was trying to find. Um, you won't find any interview. You'll probably find something from when I was twenty-four, when, when looking like a. <laughs> with big hair you know <laughs> that and I found um, uh, one thing I was going to ask you about actually um, did you ever end up selling your geisha girl base I did to Geddy Lee oh wow yeah that's amazing for his base book yeah it's in his base book actually that's amazing it, it was amazing I mean he he still knocked me down on the price though <laughs> <laughs> but, you know 
I, funny enough, I met him years before then in Morocco. I was traveling through Morocco and I met him briefly when I was with Robert in Morocco. Yeah, oh, but wow. anyway, he was he was a cool guy. But yeah, he bought it. So and it's in his book, and he he does check, name check me. So I, which was a surprise. But there you go. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, the first thing I always want to know is how did you, my guests, get into music in the first place? Uh, what was uh, you know what was a house like growing up? Were you, was you, your family musical, and, and uh, what got you started playing music? Well, when I was really young, uh, the, you know, I don't really come from a musical household. Uh, my father loved music and used to listen to a lot of music but mainly classical and jazz to be fair okay because you know when he was growing up he he was into jazz was the cool thing he was into he was he never really got into the it was a little bit before uh, the 60s the pop boom you know so he right. was into the jazz modern jazz quartet and west coast type jazz and and classical music so that that's that's what was around me really but but it wasn't really a musical family but i was really hooked on playing music from a very very young age you know from sort of three or four I was standing in front of the mirror pretending I was playing a, <laughs> an instrument you know yeah and then the I whole glam thing yeah and the whole glam thing in the 70s really uh, hooked me along really oh okay. I was very, very into Bolin and oh and then I, yeah yeah all that stuff and early Bowie and and then I was into all the soul stuff like stylistics all the Philly soul I loved all that Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Philly Soul is fantastic. Yeah. That is And I'm a huge Bolin fan. I, I love T-Rex and, and Zip Gun. Yeah. And stuff. That's, that's just amazing stuff. Amazing. I was in his fan club, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So, it was, it was, so was, was bass the first instrument that you played, or was there something else that got you into, into playing music? No, bass. I mean, I... I, I uh, when I was really young, you know, five or six, I had a little acoustic guitar that I used to self-tune and strum. Oh, but boy. I got, into, I got into bass when I was about 30. You know, I got my first bass when I was about 12 or 13, I think it was. But I didn't know it was a bass, you know. Oh, I was, really? I, no, I was doing a paper round, and someone told me about somebody selling an electric guitar. So I saved up the money when, when I bought it, and, and I thought, this is weird, you know. It's had these fat strings with foam <laughs> underneath the bridge, and yeah. <laughs> I, I still didn't. I was too dumb to work out it was a bass. And then I saw my friend, who was a quite accomplished guitarist, he went, "Well, that's a bass, so I guess you're a bass player." I went, "Okay, that'll do." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know. And that's the start of it. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. Everything's everything that comes to me comes by the abstract you know really <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. For, for, for real for real all, all by the abstract okay so then you got to tell me how you got started playing with bands because uh i did see the first thing that you recorded was the band violent blue but was that your first band or were there no that? no that wasn't my first but that was the first band i had a deal with i had a band before that with a ter you know you know when you're young you have bands with terrible names you oh, know yeah. i had bands with terrible names but the first band i was in really and i which well we had a record deal when i was about 16 and that was oh, wow. a band called recorded delivery and actually that song you can find on iTunes. Really? Yeah, man. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up because I didn't know that. I'm, I'm, yes, yes. Right, I'm, and I'm, I'm actually 
believe me, I cannot sing, but I'm actually singing on it. Oh, God knows. I must have really had a lot of self-belief. <laughs> I was delusional, you know. <laughs> Youth. Oh. Man. Yeah, yeah. But I'll yeah. tell you what, that's still not worse. I, I was in a band. Well, I was in one band because I'm a very bad self-taught guitar player. And I was in one band, and our name was worse than yours. So. Well, what, 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 what was it? Super Karate Monkey Death Car. That's a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cool name. What are you talking about? That's a cool name, you know? I mean, you know, our, our band was called Record Delivery because we could get free stickers from the post office to stick everywhere. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> my stickers would have been a very, very expensive. With Yeah, but that's eclectic, you know? I mean, I wasn't eclectic. I was just... I was like just dumb and wanted to be... A, at that point, wanted to be a sort of pop star, which was completely deranged really so how did you get into violent blue then and and well that well that that, that band was just a, a, a so after that band recorded delivery a little later on i started actually quite young i started sessioning and because I, I picked up the bass pretty good and I, I started i got a double bass after i got that other bass and i started oh, playing that yeah so i was playing I never played guitar, so it was double bass and electric bass. So I started doing sessions and things. I saw this great guitarist, a guy called Neil Taylor, and he he ended up being a very successful session player also. Okay. But anyway, I got into a band with him, and um, he was due to go on tour playing sessions with Tears for Fears. Oh, wow. And he said to me, if you don't have a record deal for this band, by the time I get back, I'm going to be just sessioning so I managed to get a deal oh my god yeah I managed to get a deal but I was lucky I met a, a guy in a, who worked for a label who was a great guy and was very sympathetic <laughs> wow but you're also uh, you know, obviously a talented musician at that point because in my band you know I was in I don't know early 20s if uh, one of my bandmates said you know, I'm going away for a few months, and when I come back, you guys don't have a record deal. It's done. It would have just been done. <laughs> there was no way. Yeah, man. But, you know, there's an argument. If I don't find that record deal, in some ways, some things may have been a lot better in my life. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. You know, I mean, it's just... But it, we got the deal, and um, that band survived for a while. We did an album, and... Um, yeah, you know, so but basically, yeah, I had managed to somehow have releases and be signed pretty much bef between 16 and 22. I was busy, you know. You, so you were saying you were doing a lot of session work at that point. Uh, who, yeah. What kind of sessions were you doing? Because I'm looking at I'm seeing Violent Blue stuff, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of info uh, no. when I do my research on the sessions that you played. Yeah, correct. Well, most of the stuff I did was for local bands and in studios and okay. I played a harmonica you know one of the first sessions I did I played a harmonica on a, a, a for, on a Fergal Sharkey record oh wow uh, he, 
yeah, he was a singer in the undertones. No credit for that. So, uh, not that it's mattered. You don't expect it. I mean, you just do it. I got paid 30 quid or something. But you know, yeah. most, of the session, most of the sessions I did were, um, you know, local bands. I got a job in a studio where I was meant to be tape hopping, but I ended up playing bass with people. Bits and pieces, you know, okay. outside. Outside, I mean, mainly it's always been the way that I've had one main project I've been involved with, and then outside that, I've been working for other people playing bass, you know, and yeah. and occasionally producing stuff or arranging, you know. But I'm a bass player fundamentally, you know. That's that's fundamentally yeah. what's created my livelihood, I guess. But it's no career. I wouldn't call it a career. <laughs> it's no, there's no such thing as a career. It's not a career. You know, career is not. It's a, it's a journey, really. To be sure, oh, I, don't, I'm not, I don't mean to sound pretentious, but it's not a career. It's but, it's a journey. Well, no. yeah, that that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, we, career, we careers are things that sort of go from from A to Z with a natural line. But right. you, you, if you try and follow your artistic nature is up and down and in and out and it's not always good it's you know yeah yeah exactly that makes a lot of sense all right so let's i listened to as much as i could find of violent blue <laughs> well it's not much i think there's two tracks and then like an extended dance mix of one of those tracks I haven't heard that. I've got one oh, man. at home on the shelf somewhere. There's one 45 single with a pitch, a, oh. a sort of a picture where we look like something out of a pre-Raphaelite painting. Yeah. And that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's I know it. that one you're talking about. Yes. Man, I, I tell you, I've I, I got a look on the go there. I, I quite like that look, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> If you don't know, I'll, I'll, let, I'll tell you about this. This is a really cool website. And if the listeners don't know, this is a great website. It's called discogs.com. Right, right. com. And on that website, they have the whole track listing for the Violent Blue album. Really? Yes. In, in fact, oh, okay, while, while we're uh, talking, I'll, I'll see if I can pull well, it up. We've got to make sure this is the same band because I, I can't believe that. Okay, I will. While we're talking, I will, I will, I'll, I'll pull that up. But let me, uh, let me do that real fast. Okay, so... How long were you playing with Violent Blue? Did you did you end up doing a lot of of uh, touring? Was it more local? No, you know it was back in the time when labels had lots of money and they would sign bands, and in the lottery of all the bands they signed, they would choose who they were going to push. So we were kind of in frozen animation with a record deal, making records with no action, you know. Okay. And and uh, we had a really amazing guy who his name was Mark Wayhab and I met well he's the guy that gave us the deal he's the head on and he unfortunately passed away very young oh. and and left and, and that upset the apple car and we didn't have anyone looking after us in the label so we just ended up being frozen really 
Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, oof. I've been, but yeah. you know, it's funny, that's not the first time I've heard of that. And it, it's a much different landscape nowadays. Oh, yeah. But, but it's better in a way. It's better because, it's best because people do more for themselves without that whole, did the A&R man turn up at the gig business and, you know, they just get on and do their thing. You know, my kids are all musicians and they get on and do their things and they're not as contrived as I was in terms of, Ah. They just love playing music, and I was driven to be successful, I guess, which in itself is a, a kind of, uh, I don't know, really. Driven to be successful playing music is not necessarily the right start, but driven to be a good musician and follow your inner voice is a much better place to start. <laughs> Instead okay. of wanting to be like Mark Bolin, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I've pulled up the Violent Blue page here on Discogs and it's got a whole track list. I'll, I'll uh, throw it out to you. You tell me if this is accurate or not because it's got that picture you're telling me about here. Uh, it's kind of a cyan-colored photo of, of yeah. two yeah. of you. Yes, me and Neil. Neil, yes. yeah. And all right, so the tracklist is giving you up. Yes, that's it. That's I, it. I won't give in, losing you. Oh no, no I don't hear anymore. That's, that's <laughs> I'm getting a cold sweat. You know. <laughs> okay. All right, sweat. so that is it. All right, yeah, so man, one, it. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, hold on, I, just, wow. I lost track here. That's amazing. That's amazing. Eleven tracks. Oh. Wow, and there's, that's crazy. There's three different versions. They've got the, uh, let's see, the LP, two LP versions and a cassette, the Germany release and Brazilian releases. Wow. That's just, just, and, oh, I don't know what to think about that. Well, here, you want you wanted something even, oh, wait, no. I was going to see if I can have, find one on the marketplace here, but I don't see one. It's not for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to buy one here. No, no, don't do that. No, no, no you, you'd be, you, you don't want to poison yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it is very poppy. It does sound like it. it's from the, the mid 80s. The one or oh, the yeah, two tracks yeah, I heard. Of course, of course. Of course but yeah. you did, you did get a, a gig with Ofrahaza around I that did. time. So how did you get that gig? Was that just a natural? That uh, was a session, you know, that was a, okay. a, what happened? Yeah, that that was because that wreck that particular album that track really did well i think and and she was quite something you know yeah uh, as a breakthrough artist for that middle eastern thing you know yeah amazing yeah, voice I, the producer like many things the producer had heard heard of me and asked me in on the session i mean i, I you know it was one of those sessions where you gotta understand you know when you do things like that you kind of yeah, I didn't know what to think, but it went well. It went well. It was a good session, and that, that was a, one of those things that just popped out there and did, did good, you know? for it because it was 
I mean, it no. was kind of poppy, or it, but it, you know, it wasn't exactly Middle Eastern sounding. No, no, no. It was a real crossover dancey. Yeah. The original, the original version of that song was a, just a vocal, I think. Oh, really? I think so. But no, I wasn't prepared. I mean, like most sessions, you know, you know, I don't. Uh, I, I, even though I say that, I don't. I kind of uh, not. That I'm in denial, but I, I didn't see myself as a session player in the strict sense of the word. So okay. most things that I do, I try not to just turn up with a bag of ideas that I can use on it on everybody's tunes. As a bass right. player, I like to try and you know respect it and be involved in it on a deeper level. And, and I did with that, but it does mean that you, it's a little more nerve wracking. And I was certainly. It was with, a, funny enough, it was with a producer called Wally Brill, and he's now lives in San Francisco. He's an American guy, and okay. lives in San Francisco, and he had quite a lot to do with the explosion of um, multimedia music with Apple and all those people out in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was the producer. So that's how I did that session. Oh, right, and that was, what, about 88, I think? It was early, uh, earlier than that. Oh, well, okay. no, it was released. It was released in ACA, but that session was a lot earlier than that. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot earlier than that. That actual recording would have been done quite some time before then. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know it was released then, but yeah, um, because you know, you know, the thing is, I, I was. Where you know, even though I was playing music, I, I, where I lived when I was born, I lived in some of the suburbs of Bristol. Okay. And most of my friends and or people I hung out with, and what I did in my spare time was not with musicians. So I all had this sort of thing that came out of nowhere. And even though I was playing music, the sessions I got and stuff were kind of contrary to, to my lifestyle, really, in a way. Even though I was playing my bass, and those sort of sessions came out of the blue. They weren't. It wasn't like I was out playing lots of pub and and club gigs and stuff like that. I was okay. just doing my own thing, really. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. So then in '90, you ended up uh, working with Robert Plant and ended up on his Manic Nirvana album. So how did how did you meet Robert Plant? If if especially if you know you're just doing these sessions, but you're not really living the life of of, uh, of a touring musician or even maybe even a session no. musician at that point how did how no, did the connection well at that point you know it, it, it actually stuff happened before the manic nirvana record what happened was i did the now and zen tour oh, okay and that tour was in 1988 which is why i know i couldn't have done the offer Haza. Because ah. I was touring and that was a very big tour yes and i actually, I actually auditioned for robert's gig in 1987. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was, would have been 24 or something like Man, jeez. Yeah, so, so that came about because um, what happened was I'd had two years of not much work as a musician. I was still practicing my bass and, and I was skinned. I mean, I, had, I was broke. Yeah. And I was living in this place in England called Kingsham. In fact, Bonzo Dog Doodah band have a song called Kainsham but oh. anyway <laughs> I was living in this flat in Kainsham and uh, my mum said to me because I, I spent like a year and a half period just really hanging out and my mum said to me you've got to do something with your music you've got to do you've got to make something happen you, you know you know that's so awesome I said, 
Yeah, yeah, it was a good thing to say. So I got this, at the time Margaret Thatcher was in government Mm -hmm. and she she had this thing called the Work Enterprise Scheme, right? Okay. Now, the work enterprise scheme is, is it worked in two ways. It was a way of keeping the unemployment numbers down in England. Okay. And, and a way of helping people out. Now, I'm not saying I was a, a fan of Thatcher. Right. But basically, if you go to the government and say, look, listen, I have this job. I'm a plumber or an electrician or a mechanic, but I'm on the dole and I'm getting state to help me mm-hmm. they would give you the same money for a year but you could earn on top of it and they'd make it official oh wow so I went to them and said look I'm a musician can I have a work enterprise scheme meaning I could still claim my unemployment benefit and go out and work as a musician oh, wow. so that's the, that's the first thing I did and then what happened weirdly the producer that produced Violent Blue well, actually, before that, go skip back a little bit. Okay. The guy, when I was in recorded delivery, the guy that re- released that record, all that time back when I was 16 or something, he called me and said, hey, do you want to come up to London for an audition for a band? And I said, well, yeah, I will do. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. But I, I got nowhere to stay, and, uh, I, but I'll work it out. So I got on a coach and went up to London, and I thought, well, where can I stay? And then I remembered a friend of mine, called Tim Palmer and he's a very very successful producer and mix engineer these days he lives in Austin actually oh okay and he said oh come and stay around my place so I went and stayed at his place he said I'm working with Robert Plant I went oh that's so cool he said yeah you know he's looking for a bass player and I thought well anyway (laughs) I went back home and then he called me and said no here's a number call this number and you might be able to get an audition now at this point honestly I had I was broke, you know, and, and, and so I had this number in my pocket and I didn't call it immediately. I sort of thought for a few days. So I went down to the payphone because there was no mobile phones, but right. I called oh, it. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, man. I, I went down and I called it and I got the audition, you know. So that's that. Wow. So then I went up and did the audition and I had to. Um, yeah, I went up and did the audition, which was a day's recording and a day rehearsals, and I didn't hear anything for four months, you know. And oh, then wow. they asked, then they asked me to go up. And I started rehearsing, and then I got on the Now and Zen tour with Robert. Wow! And that was a very big tour for him. And yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I was out of the country then, but I was still on the Work Enterprise Scheme money from the government. Oh wow! <laughs> Touring the world on the Work Enterprise Scheme. Yeah, man. I was. I, I, I had to fly out to Morocco to do a video, and I still get my fifty quid a week doll money. <laughs> so I was like, "That's awesome." Uh, weirdly, the sort of like you know, it's one of those really bad stories that you can imagine the government or somebody getting hold of just use as an example of how well it works. So I kept my head down about that. Like, oh, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, that's how it happened, you know. So the the audition it was just you. There, yeah, there, there wasn't a whole like a. It wasn't like a no. cattle call or anything. No, because the, because the reason why that was the case is because the guy who recommended me, you know, I came highly recommended from him. So that was it. They just okay. tried me out, and I got it. You know. Now, when you ended up actually touring with, with Robert, and all, did you have to any modify your style of playing at all to fit what Robert was wanted after doing Violent Blue and some more poppier yeah. stuff? 
Yes, because well, at that time Robert had a very 80s sound, oh, yeah. but he wanted he wanted a fretless bass, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. And I'm not strictly. I'm a. I play double bass and 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 a fretted bass. I wasn't a fretless bass player, so I had to get hold of a fretless bass and blag that. Oh wow. That, Which is actually, I think, harder to play than an upright. I was going to ask: is is it different to play uh, the fretless than it yeah, is the upright? Because yeah, 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 it's harder, I think. You know, but I, I, I blagged it, and I got the cheapest bass known to mankind to do it on. I mean, I, <laughs> I literally, I seriously, I took, I had some money. My mum gave me some money to, my mum and dad gave me this money to pay off an electricity bill, and I bought this bass called a Westone Thunder One A. And it's a, not an expensive bass, and I managed to put some decent pickups on it and get away with using that, you know. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! But I got, yeah, but there was no, you know, even once I'd done the audition and gone up and started rehearsing for the tour, nobody said I was in. Nobody said I'd got the gig. I mean, you know, it's, right? Oh wow, they let you sweat it out for a while. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, those those environments are never very forgiving, really. Oh, I'm, I can imagine. So when you were doing, we were recording Manic Nirvana. Did you know that you were going to be a, a permanent part of the band at that point, or did you, did you no, have to approach it as a session thing? Well, what happened then was I decided when they said, "Look, we're going to do a new album and we're going to play bass on it," I had to move to London. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I moved from Cainsham up to London, and um, that was it. I, I was. I knew that I was going to have to work on that record. I knew I had to make that jump, you know, yeah. to really throw myself right in there because they weren't going to pay for hotels and all that stuff. I had to be around. So then I moved to London and concentrated on that. And, and I had a few other sessions come up while I was doing that. Oh, cool. Anything that, uh, that we recognize? Um, you know, I did some stuff for the pretenders, but that didn't get used. Still, that's um, awesome. Yeah, that was good. It was great work. I did a little thing uh, for an album called Pact, I think it was, with Chrissy Hine and Pretender. So there's some good musicians on that. I, I enjoyed doing that. But the other the other thing what happened, in the middle of doing Manic Nirvana, you know, what was very different was what, <laughs> what really changed the dynamic for everything. But I had to be initially quite kind of low key about it is I fell for his daughter you know yeah Carmen <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so that, that changed the, that, that made life a lot more complex that and fortunately it was uh, mutual yeah yeah <laughs> it was mutual she was living below him at the time so I had to ride my I ride motorcycles I, so one day in the studio he said to me Hey, I saw your triumph parked out in the outside the house. What was it doing there? I was like, oh, you know. <laughs> it was tricky. It was tricky. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, so that so you guys had to kind of fly low for a little while then. Well, it was complex. Yeah. It was complex. You know, I mean, the, the, but the fact of the matter was, I wasn't thinking. I, I was, you know, it, it, it was uh, that was that's what was going on, and. Um, I just went with it, but I mean, it, it didn't make touring that particular album thereafter. It did make make things complex for me, right? But I, I but I didn't, um, and obviously for my for Carmen, but and for Robert, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really for Robert, yeah. But nevertheless, you know, I had a very thick skin, and and you know, uh, I wasn't really careerist. I mean, of course, my mum and dad said to me, "What are you doing?" You know. Yeah. You, <laughs> Are you crazy, you know? And I was like, "Well, have you seen her? I mean, 
Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance, you know. Yeah. But, um, and, you know, like like you said, at that point, you know, it was, you, you're also, you're young, you know, if you, you weren't looking you know, at it as a career. You just, just do what you do. And, and, yeah. and for me, you know, that's the way it went. And, you know, Robert, uh, Robert, you know, even though it was difficult, you know, he, he's, uh, as a guy, he's, he likes the, he's a realist and, and he likes the real grit, you know, so yeah. he's not going to suddenly start acting, you know, he likes the grit. He's, he, and, and so, and we got on, we, we got on well, me and Robert, but, but that, that was different, you know, so it did change. I mean, in a way, you know, if you wanted to talk realistically as a bass player, it, I went from being, me Charlie Jones the bass player to Charlie Jones the son-in-law in the band and that's that's a, a, a kind of strange I mean to be perfectly honest I didn't care less but right. in terms of perception that's a mixed bag you know? oh I can imagine yeah you know that, that's that gotta be tough and if, especially if you know it's it's legitimate you know you're not just trying to date his daughter to stay in the band or anything you know there's well but it, you know it's, it's a it's a sure way of not staying in the band really. exactly <laughs> exactly so you know so when when you guys approached recording manic nirvana was there a specific effort to not try to sound like john paul jones or phil scragg or paul martinez did he want to oh, do because no, that, no, that no, was no, a little harder a little little rockier than his other albums yeah those previous bass players all you know were are oh, amazing players but no I just did my thing and there was never any you know Robert would as a bass player my gig in that band he'd be much quicker to quote someone like Bob Mosley from Moby Grape or something oh, yeah. like that you know or some of those psychedelic bands of that period and no one ever asked me to play like JPJ or right. Phil Scraggs bass playing on, on Now and Zen was amazing I had to try and cover that fretless thing but not, I never did it as well as he did you know and and Paul Martinez was a, just another period again you know a, a very different type of player to me so I did yeah. my own thing really you know I did my own thing and, and, and it was a matter of um, you know that band the, the way that music was made was quite competitive you know yeah so, so, so yeah so, so because everyone's involved with the writing so I just said to Robert, look, you know, I'm not really, I, I'm happy to contribute as a bass player and within that I'll be a writer, but I'm not interested in haggling to get my ideas on the record. I'm your bass player and that's yeah. it, you know. But, he, you know, to be fair, that worked in my favor, but... Oh, I'm sure, yeah. But at the same time, he liked people to fight for their corner with what they their musical contribution as as writers you know oh okay he loves, it. He loves all that stuff so it's it's always highly charged always. oh <laughs> okay I see. Yeah, that's that's interesting to find out because i never know when it, so you got a guy like robert plant right he's he's had this amazing career with led zeppelin 
Yeah. And he, he has a solo career. You never know if, you know, and, and it's a successful solo career, but you never know if he is one of those guys that, okay, you guys work out your parts, I'll work out mine, or it's it's all no, me. It no, it doesn't work like that. Robert, Robert, somebody, as an artist, likes to have a say over everything, you know. Yeah. He, you know, he, he likes to, he likes the control, but at the same time, He's also very generous, you know, uh, generous creatively to let you do your thing. But but at the end of the day, he will have something to say about every aspect of the music. Yeah. Okay. So he's he's got an idea in mind, but he's open to hearing. Yeah. Everybody's contributions to it. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. I remember the very first time I got a chance to see Robert Plant. Actually, the I think the only chance I ever got a ch- the only chance I had to see Robert Plant live was um, the Fate of Nations tour. And mm. I was in I lived in New Jersey, and I saw you guys come and and play at uh, theater in New York. I, got, I can't remember the name of it at this point. Was it the Bowery? Maybe it was- no, it was. Uh, damn it! It's you know it's one of those that's like really famous, and I, now for some reason I I can't. Think okay. of the, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but anyway, Brother Kane opened, and uh, you guys, the the band on that album was was fantastic. But there's a lot of people in the recording, like mm. guys like Francis Dunnery, who you know mm. was on the in the touring band and and played on a couple tracks on the album. That album seemed to be influenced a lot by some of the sounds that were more popular in the early 90s like like grunge and harder rock was mm. was that a conscious effort did you, or did you feel a conscious effort to make that album harder no I no i don't think so um i think at the time you know i i, I what you have to understand is you know just just to skip back a little bit you know mm-hmm. when when the now and Zen record was done which i didn't play on that was a huge success yeah and you know we were playing three nights at uh, meadowland sold out and two nights madison square was huge but by the time we went on did manic nirvana that the world had changed grunge had happened the world had changed it was a different place yeah so by the time we did Fate of Nations, you know, it was it, things were moving quite quickly, you know, and I think, um, you know, Robert was and the band were trying lots of different ideas to be relevant at that point. And of course, uh, musically to be relevant as a band working with Robert when you're young and doing that is, is a complicated business because the legacy of who he is looms bigger than all of that. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of dre- window dressing around this voice, and and even though that's not yeah. to put it down, it's, it makes it harder to to creatively creatively identifiably put something together that is really cohesive. So it's 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 got lots of different um, experimentations really on that record. Were you guys? In the band, were you listening to a lot of the, the what was being played? You know the, the well, the you know the stuff? process. Well, you know the, the the process is it's a very it was a very strange writing process because everybody would submit ideas, you know, yeah. into the pot, and then sometimes you get together and jam those ideas out, and, and it it's a kind of 
quite a competitive and kind of explosive way of making music. And I wouldn't say, uh, so I, I would say there are, it was a bunch of ideas coming from a lot of individuals trying to be formed into one cohesive sound. And a relevant sound for the time. Yes. Exactly. Was this the time that that in the live show Robert started playing some Led Zeppelin tracks? Was that? Yeah. Because I don't think he was playing them before. Well, we, then, all, right? we always we always touched on that. Always, uh, always touched on that. Yeah. You know, because he, sometimes he would he would purposely. I mean, you know, he's very driven, Robert. And if he was going out and our say our shows, you know, we went from say playing arenas and then we were playing theater shows purposely fox theaters and things like that because he was trying to, a different angle on something and also it was because the sales would go up and down up and down because as an artist like i said before he's not really a careerist no. he's somebody that's constantly try he doesn't hang on to that led zeppelin legacy you gotta believe that he oh. really does not uh, yeah i it, in fact it seemed at the very in the beginning he was trying to distance himself from it yeah, yeah, in a way, but nevertheless, you know, on that tune on even now and then, heaven knows, Jimmy played on that. Yes. So, so, so he always, you know, there's always a nod, but he, he, you know, and as a band, the type of musicians he was using were people who weren't necessarily rock musicians, strictly speaking. Ah, okay, you know, okay. You know, they were much more, uh, much more eclectic type musicians. You know. Ah, okay. So, all right. So you you brought up Jimmy Page. Yeah. After Fate of Nations, the No Quarter album happened, yeah. which was just to me. I w at that time I was huge, a huge Led Zeppelin fan. Always have been, you know, ever since my mom introduced me to the band when I was a kid. When I heard that that was happening, that was amazing. The fact that these two guys are getting back together, and there's going to be, you know. I didn't. I didn't realize at the time it was going to be a, such a wild reworking of a bunch of the old tracks plus new music. Uh, did you know how long in advance did you know that something like this was going to happen? Because at this point, I think you were actually legitimately in laws with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, what happened was was that. I mean, it, what happened with that record was that at the time Michael Lee was drumming in the band, I was playing bass. And Robert decided he was going to do this thing with Jimmy. And Jimmy, you know, the Le the, the Led Zeppelin thing is a whole nother <laughs> catalogue of history and conversation. Right. So, so for whatever reason, they decided to do this record, which didn't involve John Paul Jones. Yeah. Which meant that Robert wanted me and Michael to be the rhythm section. Now, Jimmy obviously would have, now I, I can't speak for him, but I would imagine at that point he would have felt like, well, I'm walking into Robert's rhythm section and Robert, a band that already exists. Yeah. And, and, and you must understand that probably from his point of view, Led Zeppelin was very much his production, his band in a yeah. way with, yeah. with Robert, but nevertheless, he is, very fierce over his legacy with Led Zeppelin, Jim Pages. At least he appears to be, and quite rightly so. So, um, so me and me and Michael had to sort of re-audition with Jimmy. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Yeah, and because it wasn't just Robert saying I'll do it, and we're going to use these musicians, Jimmy had to be on board. That you know? makes sense. So, 
we did that and he was happy with it so that was the core band and then putting the thing together put it you know you you go and start putting that thing together it's like it's like no different than being in your first school band I mean it was chucked together that thing really wow I mean I mean you know we rehearsed in a pub above a pub in London really oh yeah oh wow we, we rehearsed that above a pub in London conceptionally I mean obviously creatively it wasn't chucked together there's right. a lot of care and thought has been put into that but, but conceptually it was just like, okay we're going to do this we'll get some Egyptian musicians so we'll have a uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll just get a, a few yeah western string orchestra and we'll do this thing so it came about like that and and you know they reworked the stuff we had a guy doing the orchestration called ed Shermer who went on to become very successful movie um scoring for movies but at oh, the time okay, yeah yeah he 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 did the strings and then we had an, a, a guy called hossam ramsey who unfortunately passed away not long ago who was a very dear we stayed good friends forever he was a great guy he he put together the egyptian ensemble and that was how that put together but but the thing is we did that tv show unleaded yes now by that time that all came together it was very um there was a lot of you know it was a, a lot of very uh specific creative thinking from Robert and Jimmy and everyone involved. I mean, you know, the creative thought behind how to present that music can be laid firmly at Robert and Jimmy's feet, really. Okay. But, but as musicians, we were given the freedom to work to interpret that. We did that TV show, and um, and then we got told that's also the record. I mean, I had no idea when we were doing it that was going to be an album. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. so when we did the TV show, I mean, I literally had this tiny little amp. I could barely hear what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, we just... But that was the album, and, and um, it, was, it was interesting. I mean, you know, it was... For me, it was cool because touring was a large tour with lots of people. Yeah. And that was interesting, and it meant that it was felt a little freer to a little more freedom involved in it. And, um, okay. yeah, and it was exciting. Yeah, my wife was at that gig, and she, she was pregnant with my daughter at the time when oh, we did that wow. show. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember when that thing aired. I I sat there and and I recorded it on my VCR. Yeah. And I just sat there glued to it the entire time. It was it It's was, a good show. I had a do you know what man? I got a, I had a suit made. I had a suit it was a copy of a Brian Jones suit from from the Stones made by a friend of mine in Los oh. Angeles, a great tailor, and I got that suit, and I can't fit into it now. You know? oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love that suit. You know, well, you know, it's like you know. I, I, so I kind of dug the way I looked in the video, and that, that and I played all right, so that was that was okay. Oh, that's awesome! I have to go back and look but, at that now. 
but realistically, you know, in real terms, John Paul Jones should have done it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're saying. And also, you know, I can't fit into what I was wearing when I was watching it. So that's so, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, so after that whole hurricane of an album came and went and, and, and the hype, how long after that were you told that that they were going to be doing the walking into clarksdale album how i mean how what was the time well, period? you know it kind of got more complicated again because we did that album and that was all good, great and then the idea was okay that's it now we've got the rhythm section robert and jimmy me and michael let's go and make an album write an album make it on so then yeah. i find myself in this situation of being part of a band really for a very short period a short period of time a two year period of being in a band with Robert, Jimmy, me and Michael jeez and and writing that record and that was you know a, a mixed blessing really yeah yeah in, in a way in a way because it was it was a very um, it was great making that record but it was no bowl of cherries really was was it intimidating at all working with with the two of them no, writing? I, I, no i never i i very rare no i never felt intimidated at any point working with either of them at any point from night working robert okay. when i first 1988 and so i never I, I i felt not intimidated by the situation i just felt you know sometimes i just felt it could have been better okay uh, but then who am i to judge i mean i'm i'm an amoeba really i mean i, I don't mean i don't mean that in a bad way but then I, you know the thing about it is you have to understand that when you're in a band and you, you go from start to finish in a band and it's your band and you can exercise your artistic and creative uh, freedoms that's fine that's fantastic mm. when you're in a band with people people like Robin Jimmy or anyone of that stature they are still your bosses you see right ultimately you are still being paid to do a job you know when I okay. told Robert even though you, he's very he was very generous in generous as a human being and as a boss he was generous nevertheless it's not like I, I never thought, oh, I'm in Led Zeppelin, you know. Right. I always had this objectivity about what I was doing. And because I had this objectivity, I had to fight my corner, you know, very much so. Okay. To, to be able to contribute what I thought was right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it is page and plant. You know, it's not page, plant, Jones and Lee. Right. Know? Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's actually, for me, much better. I, 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 if they said, oh, right, we're not going to call this page apart, we're going to call it something else. I mean, you know, so, you know, I was aware of that. So being in that situation with, with the, the, the history of the band of the individuals are working for, especially also being in the situation where I was in Robert's original band as his bass player and become his son-in-law yeah. wasn't easy wasn't easy oh i can imagine yes exactly so it got very intense very intense but i don't mind a fight and i'm up for it any, <laughs> with anybody just bring it on you know so, <laughs> so, it, 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 so that's the way it happened you know that's what happened and that record had some great stuff on it i mean oh, i'm yeah. not saying yeah i'm not saying and working with steve albini was fantastic he is a, a Great guy, great guy. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I've heard from other people who've worked with him that 
he basically lets the artists just go like like this is he records it and that's the way you sound you know if yeah. there's not a whole lot that he does other than let the artists sound like themselves well you know just to do that in itself is an art form you know yeah now, i mean he he you know the way an, what the way an artist let's say you let an artist do what he or she wants to do uh, but you take care of how that sounds the way that presented is presented that's like the difference between saying well okay you're you're an artist you do your thing but actually i think i'm going to make this a watercolor not not an, an oil painting i mean you know or you know the way something sounds in terms of the way it's recorded the types of air that's moving or or the types of how it's engineered has a great impact impact on how these songs are communicated okay and he and he had a great deal to do with that and he was cool you know i mean he's oh, yeah. I, I i liked him i liked his whole vibe were the songs on the album a uh, group effort because you did yeah. i know you you helped write uh please read the letter which eventually That's won right. a grammy of the the songs on the album was it a, a total group effort or was it a everything bit of everything? was oh, everything awesome. was yeah because it was all everything was co-written by the four of us yeah oh wow yeah that's fantastic that was everything worked out ahead of time or did you guys jam stuff in the studio yeah we uh, basically we'd be in the studio and we would knock the ideas around and we'll, we'll come up with the top lines and and you know um, I mean, you know, Jimmy's Jimmy was more of a, a studio animal than Robert, you know, right, and, yeah. and, and is uh, and certainly was under those circumstances. And uh, Robert's a lot more. Things have got to happen in the moment, you know. Bam, it's got to happen there and then, right. you know. So some things weren't prepared until we got in there, and then he come up with it, you know. Wow. And, yeah, and that's how I came up with that whole top line for Please Write a Letter. I mean, that was largely driven by Robert, that song. And, um, of course, the, 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 there's that track, Most High, and that also got a Grammy for Best Rock Performance or something, I think. Oh, I think you're right, yeah. You might be right. So quite a lot came out of that record in a weird way. Yeah, I, I, but out of all of that, my favorite, out of all, all the songs on that album is Blue Train. That is my absolute yeah, favorite. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, great. The, your your bass on that is is just oh, it's just it gives me you. chills.
thank you thank you that's kind of you to say but I mean you know as a bass bassist most of what I've done in my life as a uh, purely as a bass player is try and be the left hand of a piano I, I, I you know I, I try and be a musical bass player that frames and acts you know okay. not, not so, so so it's very hard you know in the you know, if you if people were to look at famous bass players through time, and you think of Mingus, or you think of Jacko, or you think of Bernard Edwards, or you think of any of the great bass players in our time, a lot of these soloist type bass players, um, you know, for all these players, which was a huge, incredible, and can do everything I've just said and more, you know, there's working players that are out there doing stuff that people feel rather than hear, you know. And, yeah, and, I agree. And I guess, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I agree. Guys like like yourself and, and Simon Jones, you, just yeah. two of my favorite bassists of, of that era are guys that yeah. people don't really think about when they think of great no, no, bassists. No. But, but, you know, in a way, that's your job as a bass player. I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite, I mean, I, I, not to say I'm not flash. I mean, I play a, clear plastic base and I like the whole glam thing you know <laughs> I, and I like good suit I like to I like the, I'm quite showy in some ways but really as a player I mean I can cut that stuff but I'm often doing stuff where people want me to do something that's fundamental you know yeah and that's primarily how I've kept working I guess oh, yeah. yeah okay I can see that well, now the the tour for the Walking into Clarksdale album that was mm. a lot different than the unleaded No Quarter stuff. That was a that was just a lot more raw. Yes, that was, and that's what I the the tour that I really liked. And I, you know, I I got to admit I've got some bootlegs of it, and it sounds really good. It sounds a lot more raw than the unleaded stuff. Was it? I, I imagine the touring on that was completely different from the unleaded stuff. Was it a lot different from touring with just Robert Plant as well? Well, you know, the thing about it is, it yes, it was. I mean, I mean, the principle of I find working in that universe, that universe, Robert and then Robert and Jimmy and where they come from it comes from a different place it comes from a place see back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s maybe bands especially with jazz musicians you know it wasn't like everyone's on stage going hey you know we're musically talking to each other and we're communicating and creating this whole picture of love together. It's not like that. It's sometimes it's a fight. Uh, I, I, I don't mean in a bad way, but it's a creative struggle okay. to, of walking the line of finding something that works or fails miserably. And that line, if you walk that line, it can be very exciting rather than playing safe all the time. So the specifically to answer your question the class tool was a lot more of that going on a lot more of creative improvisational tensions and finding finding a um really what that thing was that we were doing is being robert and jimmy on stage with with a different rhythm section it wasn't it wasn't something that was easy it was something that was stressful but also exciting you know yeah. so that's why so there's a you know there's a thing on Jules Holland where we do the wanton song 
Oh, okay. Uh, and that's an amazing clip. That that is very much the band at its peak. Yeah. Kind of as a four-piece fundamentally. Now, I, I have a question. I, I did mention that I have some boots of the tour, and I hate, I always kind of hate mentioning that to, to musicians, but. <laughs> That's what the whole world is now. There's no such thing as I mean, uh, it's YouTube. The, fact that there's a bootleg of the past is, is, is the flag of the future. Yeah. That, you're absolutely right, but I have one, it's, uh, it's from 1995, and it's Page and Plant playing a few tracks with some guests um there's did you bring it on home no matter how you treat me uh and with steven tyler and joe perry and then when the levy breaks and for what it's worth with neil young were you a part of those recordings the thing with neil young i think was the rock and roll hall of fame and i I, that's the only time i can remember neil young being on stage and i wasn't part of that okay because I've gotten there's literally no credits or no reference on what I've got so I've, I've figured since I had you on I'd, I'd need to ask because it's about that 90, time. 95 with Steve Perry yeah we did that there not Stephen Tyler was such a nice guy you know wow oh, that's awesome very when I met him he was the most honestly he had such a big heart that guy oh that's that's good because you never know you hear so many you yeah, know he, contrasting stories about yeah. these guys he he's he's uh, got a big heart and and what a, a talent! Oh my god, yeah. amazing! He oh, was a, he was he was got he you know when I met him he just made me feel so comfortable with myself and what I was doing. You know, awesome. great guy. Yeah. The last album you did with Robert was Dreamland. Is that right? Yeah. And and that's like a, a mix of covers and some original stuff, and then. After that album, you stopped working with Robert. So was that was it? You were just moving on to this different project, or was it a personal thing? Well, what happened was after that Clarksdale record, what actually happened was I left the band. Okay. After that album, I decided I'd had enough of doing Led Zeppelin stuff, and I decided to leave. And that wasn't. Uh, didn't really go down that well when I say didn't go down that well they could cope perfectly well without me but it was just a a blip really a blip for them but at the same time ultimately when I did leave it meant that after that there was no more page and plant because Robert didn't work with Jimmy on page and plant that was it and I'm not so what happened was I, I, I left and then Robert decided to have a break and he put a different band together which I wasn't involved with right. which he uh, called the Sands oh I can't remember 
it was, oh, was it? the Priory of Brian. Correct. Yeah. Priory, well done, man. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> and it was a great band. And you know, Robert just keeps moving. Man. Oh yeah. He just keeps moving. He doesn't stop. And he put that band together. Went out on the road. I wasn't involved in that. But then he came back and asked me, "Did I want to put a band together again?" So. I did, and that's when I helped put that band together with those musicians for, uh, for the Dreamland record, yeah. And there's some great stuff on that album. Yeah, it's a great album, yeah. And, it's then, a great album. and then he ended up working with Alison Krauss and won a Grammy for a song that you helped write with Page and Plant. That, yes. That had to be weird. Well, it was weird. And, you know, the fact of the matter was, in, in reality, at that point, you know when that happened, I was in such a strange space. My manager for me said, "Do you realise you just got a Grammy for <laughs> this song?" And now uh, you got to understand, when I was living in this flat. Everything I had that came through the door, I'd throw it through straight in the bin. Oh wow! So I had to go down outside and go through the bin bags and find the envelope which oh. had the Grammy certificate in it. You know? Oh my god! Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. you don't really want to contact them and say, "Hey, can you send me another copy?" Because uh, yeah, it threw my no, I took out this brand envelope covered in tea stains. <laughs> yeah, it was surreal, but oh. it was cool. It was cool. I mean, you know, uh, yes, I, you know, that I, uh, yes, I did co-write that song, and yes, it got a Grammy. But you know, it was Robert's um, working and that Alice and Christ that got the Grammy. I mean, I know I co-wrote it, but that was a beautiful record he made, and. And, and, and that song yeah and please write letter that version of it really did, it was incredible so yeah that's how that happened and incidentally right. I'm back now during this whole time are you writing music for yourself or are you just yeah, focused- yeah. oh no no I, I, I'm writing my I've always composed my own music as well but I joined Goldfrap after Dreamland I left that dream, I did the Dreamland album yeah, did the tour and immediately after that tour, I I started working with Goldfrapp because I did oh, the that session. Oh, immediately. Okay. Yeah, so it was literally one tour into another. Yeah. Oh wow! How now? How was that's quite a shift from Page and Plant to Goldfrapp. Yeah, massive. That was- <laughs> I don't know, massive. How did that happen? How did you did you did you know them for you know Goldfrapp? No, 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 no. I didn't really. I I did a session for them. I mean, the thing is, we have to understand with Goldfrapp that. They, Will and Alison, uh, are very, their tastes, they're very unusual, that band, and conceptually, conceptually they're like nothing else. And it was a big change. And I guess, yeah, I was a rock bass player going into the world of, well, at that time, they were very electronic, you know. So so I did a session, and I played my track with Strict Machine. a very successful track for them so they asked me to do the tour which meant then leaving Robert's band which was you know um, a big change big change oh yeah, yeah. and there's a completely different style of music was that a hard transition for you to make to, to learn no, the entire the, the, thing, the thing about it about it, what you have to understand is throughout this whole period of working with Robert and then 
page and plant and all that. I was doing other things as a, a writer and uh, of music and uh, experimenting with music and uh, and um of course touring and playing with about that was a huge change because the, i mean you know on the most fundamental le- level if you want to talk in terms of nuts and bolts you know i was going from four seasons hotels to sharing rooms and being on a tour bus yeah i mean because the band were up and coming at that point and that's what appealed to me i I heard this band i thought this is really creatively interesting and different and trying and searching for something artistically more stimulating for me at that point and i thought it I knew it was going to go on an interesting journey and that was more interesting for me and also of course what you've got to understand is that after working in the world of Led Zeppelin indirectly and with Robert as a solo artist and Robert and Jimmy as a duo this was purely in terms of being a bass player working for someone else there was no difference because even though I was working with Robert and Jimmy and I was co-writing on that record I was still fundamentally working for them really you know yeah and and so uh, the same with golf rap so that was the same thread but musically and creatively entirely different entirely different type of audience as well i mean oh yeah yeah man i mean yeah. <laughs> i mean i don't mind i liked i liked the fact it was such a big change and also it was liberating liberating to be around something where everything was so fluid and liquid and interesting and creatively so interesting and of course you've got to understand that golf rap they can turn on a sixpence. You could do an album looking like something out of T-Rex, and the next time you're stood there in a black suit playing double bass, you know. Oh, wow. They, they change it up constantly. They constantly change it up. It's, it's, it's challenging in that respect, you know. That's amazing. Now, are you doing the uh, the programmed bass parts as well? Yeah, well, I had to seriously get into having a pedal board and simulating kind of uh, synth sounds on bass so it, it was a big pedal board gig that. it's been a big pedal board gig you know but Robert and Jimmy man you don't turn on a huge pedal board you just pl- plug your bass in and go with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you're yeah. not there to solo no but no. you put out a solo album a few years ago called Love Form yes how long did that take to happen were you writing for that for a long time Yes, I was on and off, but you know when that record came out, it was one of those things which got very well. Well, you know, I mean, uh, in broadsheets and and back in the day when people bought music magazines, which there are very few of now. Yeah, you know, like Q gave it four stars. I, I I did well with that, but it sold nothing, you know, because it was it was a a kind of dense kind of instrumental. But it was like I'll tell you what, it was like Derek Smalls. Of, <laughs> it's like Derek Smalls. <laughs> for Spinal Tap doing his Jazz Odyssey. Jazz Odyssey. Oh my yeah, gosh! That's... I was truly Derek Smalls. But yeah, so so that's uh, that's what happened. That is awesome. I I love yeah, the yeah. album. I and I, I never it's thought like, of it like a, as a Spinal Tap type of album. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Spinal Tap. You know. uh, yes, I'm yes, learning that. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time writing it, and yeah, over that period of time, I, I absolutely love it. Stuff. Thank you. I love it. like the beginning of the song "Reconstruction." That yeah. that's the that's the shit I love.
just a, it sounds like there's like a ton of feedback and yeah. so many like squeaks and squonks all, but yeah. there's, you said there's no electronics on that album. That's all. Well, what I mean by that, what I mean by that is, you know, that particular record, I created those sounds with distortions and right, right. Plate, plate reverbs and Fender Rhodes and so there is electronics but there's no it's, it's all freely played right there's, like, not, there's no samples or anything no samples and, and it's it's uh, my studio I've got I run uh, which I'm currently sat in I mean all my for that particular record I mostly used a lot of it's to tape and a lot of it's um, f- okay. played free form you know okay. but it is it is compositional I mean most of it is written on the piano so Oh wow, yeah. that's really awesome. As I was listening to it, the, I was listening to a uh, uh, Death Hand, and yeah. the first thing that came to my mind was that it, it's the beginning of that song. Sounds like if you ever watched the George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol, The Ghost yeah. of Christmas Yet to Come. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's what that reminds it's me. Creaky, of. It's a very creaky record. I, I mean, I mean, you know, that Death Hand is very dusty and creaky. I mean, I've got to say that that particular... Re- I, I, I'm currently working on new stuff now. Oh, but, great. But it's very different. To, I've, I'm doing something entirely different. Uh, I mean, it's come, It's from the same gene pool in terms of harmonically speaking, but okay. text, texturally speaking, I'm going making a much more plastic sounding record at the moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but that record is fantastic. It, it, it is... Um, it's a beard scratcher, you know, and, and I decided after making it, even though I love it, and I felt very proud of that record, it's, you know, it's one of those records people say, oh, it'll be a great soundtrack. And I do understand that. I do, because yeah. it's filmic. But I, it is, a, but this new record I'm making is a soundtrack. That's a soundtrack you can imagine for some of it for a sort of art film. But the music I'm making now is another soundtrack, but it's much more like a Tarantino soundtrack with some collection of songs. Oh, cool. So, so in that respect, I'm trying to make something different because that record is it has a density to it the, the, the love form record has a density to it and a it's just a little t- for me i've moved moved away slightly from that now i don't know it was, okay. a, it was a period of that i wrote that music that i was searching harmonically for something different and i've scratched that itch i want to try something different now <laughs> oh well that makes sense are you doing a lot of producing still you, in uh 2007 you produced the uh Man Ray album by suzy yeah. sue I did, yeah. Are you, you doing a, anything no, much on that end? Not really. Not really. Bits and pieces. No, okay. no, nothing. I mean, producing is a strange thing because, I mean, it, you know, if I pulled an apple out of my pocket, I've just produced an apple. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Production, production is a strange word because I'm producing stuff all the time, but actually, strictly speaking, as a producer, taking an artist and putting it together and producing them a record that's not something I've done much I've done some stuff since Suzy Sue but nothing as significant as the Suzy Sue record that was that was a full on literally top line vocal where I had to write music around it and produce music yeah oh wow day to day day in day out hum drum drone Zone to a 
and fro and so it goes hum drum drone zone buzz buzzing bees it bees consume the dreams and mouse shopping schemes buzz buzzing I've only got a couple more questions I never kept you a while but uh, no no it's fine it's fine do you have a favorite tour that you you played with a lot of different musicians through the the violent blue through robert plant to plant and page was there a favorite group of of musicians that you ended up working with i loved i loved touring well you know i i love working with alison goldfrat yeah very much so but i love um i've done three tours with david rhodes the guitarist david rhodes okay and i've played on two of his albums and uh, he David Rhodes is is incredible musician and he works with Peter Gabriel amongst many other things That's him. Okay. So I've toured with him and that was fantastic. I love doing those tours very much. Okay. That and was just like me, him and a drummer in a van, either Jed or Rob Bryan <laughs> in a van driving across Europe playing club gigs and that was amazing. Oh. Exhausting. Oh man, it's going to be awesome. Do you collect much gear? And you had your, your, your acrylic bass, you had your Geisha girl, uh, yeah. but uh, do you collect a lot of, of bases or gear oh man i got my studio is i mean yes it's a short answer to that. I, mean, <laughs> I got i mean really i got i mean just standing here looking up and there's 14 bases hanging on the wall oh wow and uh, my studio i mean i've got some beautiful gear i've got i've got one inch four track a j37 like the beatles machine in here oh wow I've got the quarter inch C thirty seven machine. I've got Jeez. I've got lots of yes, I do. I've got lots of <laughs> lots of gear. I mean, most, funnily enough, most of my recording I do, I don't I do either onto a machine called Radar, okay. which is the early digital technology which I love, or onto tape. I don't really do much computerized recording as oh, such. Wow. So I have got lots. I've just recently got very into buying early 80s early digital gear which is what I'm using on my sounds at the moment that's like very early 12, 12 and 8 bit stuff yeah. wow that is, is the reason why you, you like that is it just a warmer sound than the new digital I, well you know what it is I like combining things you know so hmm. if you had the sound of the 50s record with a plate reverb and and the sound of rooms I also like to offset you know offset that with digital distortion so it's a bit like saying it's to make a record for, to, to use an example if I was going to make a piece of music let's just say you were going to build an original 
to, to, to every detail an original Georgian house in England. Say okay. you get the right stone and you get the right wood, you get the right architecture, you do everything to the last detail to be like an original old house. But then for some reason you tack a plastic conservatory on the side <laughs> and, and then in your art gallery you walk in and you may have a pre-raphaelite but the next night you'll have that picture of that kid with the tear coming out of his eye from the 70s oh yeah you, you know yeah i combine that's what i'm doing i'm combining these things you know that's what i love doing i love combining combining awesome. uh stuff yeah oh so with my, awesome. with my gear that's what i do with my gear do you have a time frame for your new music to be released or I, do you know what? <laughs> I wish I had a time frame. But I, I, it's not like I have a captive audience. You know? <laughs> it's not, no, really. It's like if I said to you, yeah, man, it's got to be released by o October because, I mean, no one's waiting for it. So I got my. I have to release it. I have to give myself a deadline. Otherwise, I just keep writing and writing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, but I, I, I want to release something. I would like to have released something before this Christmas, but certainly early of next year I will do. I mean, okay. the touring, because all the touring was blown out this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm meant to be touring with them next year, but I, I will carry on releasing my own stuff. I've just done some interesting videos, so... I'm the captive audience for you. I absolutely love <laughs> the stuff you did with Robert. The love form is fantastic. I... I can just sit down and, and listen to that album. That's just, it's one of those. Well, I, I really, I, I really hope I don't burst your bubble with this new stuff. Because <laughs> you're going to go, what the, like, you go, really? <laughs> the, the, you know, really? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. You must talk, you know, or you, <laughs> you must let me know what you think. I will absolutely. When, when I get a chance to hear it, I will absolutely let you know. I'm going to think I'm anxious to hear some of it. Yeah. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for spending the evening. I know it's getting late by you, and I really do thank you oh, for spending fine, some time. The thing is, I have three children, you know, and throughout this thing, from the beginning of playing bass and having my children, that's the thing, truthfully, throughout it, that's tied me in with keeping my head straight with my wife and my children that, that's really meant the most to me you know that's wonderful and that relationship with them and what that brings to my music it seriously has been been the um the most important thing above all you know it's great having all this gear and talking about touring and everything but at the end of the day it's a small thing compared to when i get back and i'm with them you know i i know exactly what you're saying i've got three of my own and they're all teenagers well, you know the deal yep. exactly you know the deal and, and and right now my interest is in how well they're doing uh, it's almost yeah. embarrassing to talk about what I do because they're the people that are carrying the torch now, you know? Yeah, no, I, I I completely get it. I mean, I'm in my, uh, at this point, late 40s, and like, so I know exactly what you're talking about. All right, so I, should, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk about that, but there you go. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. This has been a blast. All right, man. If you ever get a chance to, to come over to the U.S., I've, I want to... I love it there, man. I want to... I wanna, you know, I love... I love it in the state. I cannot tell you I love it. I mean, I'm man. You know, I, I, I love it there. I want to come back and tour. I love touring America and I, I love the country too. Oh, awesome! Well, very much so. I live just outside of Washington D.C., a little, little over an hour west of D.C. So if you if you ever come to that area, I'm I'm there. You just let me know and I'll. I'll, I'll okay. Uh, and you we'll made that happen. All right, man. Definitely, definitely.
uh, if you ever feel like coming back on, I do other episodes where I'll have guests that I've had previously on, but we talk about other stuff. Um, That's cool. Like I had a guest on, we talked about his music, and a couple weeks later he came on, and we did an, an hour and a half where we just talked about David Lee Roth era Van Halen. So, so amazing. If you ever want to, yeah, if you ever want to just chat about music or anything, and uh, let me know. We will. I can uh, maybe we can either just do it the two of us, or I, I can get a couple other guests on, and we can just do a little like a panel discussion, a roundtable discussion about you know the best hair oh, metal bands of the eighties. Oh yeah, man. I just I'll just on that note, let me just quickly tell you something. When I was doing the the early Robert Plant um, now in Zentor, my one regret. What's that? That I didn't do which I would have loved to have done just because it's so perverse. <laughs> I got asked to do a month's touring with Cinderella and I didn't do it. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. Oh, Can you imagine that? I that's... could have looked back and been like at the height of the hair metal thing <laughs> that's... and be touring across. That would have been great, but I didn't do it because I was too, too proud or weird about it i don't know i should have yeah. done it oh man i saw them they it, it, this this is going to tie everything together because i saw them live it was a it was a three band bill it was extreme the middle band was cinderella and david lee roth oh. finish that is yeah extreme cinderella and david lee roth oh man i i the hell exactly. of a show. i should have done it I, you know because i'd have rather i'd have rather have looked back and done a tour with a band like cinderella than say play bass for i don't know something somebody taking more seriously like bon jovi or something i don't know yeah, yeah. Because, because because you know what I mean? because bon jovi no disrespect to them or anybody likes bon jovi they really think they're the, the, the business oh yeah cinderella but Cinderella, that's really the business. Yes. Yeah. As you look back, you go, shit, those guys did that thing with the grand piano on top of the mountain. Yeah. I could have done that and I didn't do it, you know. Oh, man. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I can understand that being a regret. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. All right, man. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.